Today's episode is sponsored by March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. As part of their annual observation of this day, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. Join the conversation about World Birth Defects Day by following hashtag Best for You, Best for Baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash BSIC. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Natalie Nicole. She will be sharing the story of her rainbow baby. After experiencing a miscarriage on New Year's Day of 2014, she was terrified of being pregnant again. So that June, when she found out that she was pregnant with her rainbow baby, she was fearful about the same outcome. But in January 2015, her son was born and answering her prayers and showing her strength. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing? Yay. Oh, wow. Yes. Natalie, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Well, um, originally I am from Montgomery, Alabama, um, 334, a.k.a. Monkey Town. (laughs) If you're from there, you would know. So, um, But um, we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina um, almost a year and a half ago. Um, I have two boys. Uh, six and two, married to my godsend of a husband who showed up when I wasn't even looking for anyone. Um, we've been married um, coming up on two years this year. So um, yeah, I just, I'm a stay-at-home mom, Black stay-at-home mom here. The misconception is far reach with us, but I'm here to break down some barriers and some stigmas attached with that. Um, I've been a full-time content creator for about a year now. Um, it's a new venture where I'm able to do all the things that I love to do and use my education as well, my educational background. I've got a bachelor's in marketing, an MPA in, um, with a concentration in nonprofit management and leadership. So one day I hope to open a nonprofit for um, Black girls and teens and moms, just of the Black background, who need a place to come for resources for everything before, after, and during pregnancy. Nice, Natalie. That sounds amazing. Um, Just that, just like you said, is a stigma about Black women not being stay-at-home moms or what that even looks like or feels like in away to you breaking down that barrier yes so can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy oh boy well first off when I had my miscarriage I was like what did I do wrong um what could I have changed so um when I found out I was pregnant I was like oh my god do I even want to tell anyone so and I saw fit that I needed to just in case for my own health reasons. Um, The first person who found out, actually, um, I didn't have to tell them anything. 
it was my dad because he got the bill <laughs> in the mail. And um, he was like, Natalie, is there something you want to tell me? Like, what are you talking about? I got this bill from the OBGY about a test for a sonogram. I'm like, oh, oh, really? I'm pregnant, daddy. <laughs> He's like, okay, baby girl. But um, then I commenced to tell everyone else. He just, because he was, he would have told my mom anyway. He can't hold water. But um, everybody was happy and excited for me. Even though I was nervous, um, I had a great pregnancy. Other than morning sickness for like the first three months. And then I had varicose veins the last trimester. Those were terrible. I could not sit down or stand I just literally had to lay down and it was tough because I was working while I was pregnant the whole time so up until my son was born I was working and um the day that he came I had an appointment for my weekly checkup 38 week checkup and then that's when the doctor said you're almost 10 meters 10 centimeters dilated we need to get to the hospital and have with the baby <laughs> I was like, you lying, bro. <laughs> My supply came out um, probably that Friday. And I was like, is this normal? Well, not a supply, it's a mucus plug. And I'm like, is this supposed to be happening? I had no what idea what that was. I was like, is this normal? What mm -hmm. is this? So I went to the hospital and that day and they said, oh, yeah, you're you're going to be in labor soon. I'm like, <laughs> No, where's my doctor? You need to call him because I don't want anybody else looking down here. <laughs> anybody looking down here <laughs> except him. He was out of town on a lake vacation. I was like, this baby better not come until he gets back on Monday. And that baby came on Monday. I said, hold off, homie, please. So I labored the whole weekend. The whole weekend. I barely slept. I was like, and by the time I got to my appointment, I was like, please, just let me go to sleep on the table. <laughs> so, but that's my pregnancy story in itself, the actual pregnancy, so. Okay. Well, as you were going through the pregnancy before you actually went into labor, how did you prepare for everything? And was it something um, you were thinking about as it was going or things that you just wanted to do in advance? Actually, I had no plan or preparations at all. I was just taking it day by day, month by month. Um, I may have started to read some books, but I never really finished them because I just, I mean, I knew a baby, like, you have to go through the punches with a baby. So um, I can read everything, but I don't know. He might not do that or do this, but um I had the support of my family, my mom, um, my partner, um, and um, ultimately just everybody. And I knew I had a, a village to help me. And I was staying with my mom at her house anyway. So I felt okay. I wish I had done more as far as a birth plan because um, there's certain things that I wish hadn't happened to me when I was giving birth that I don't think any woman should really have to go through. And next time around, I will use 
that experience to help prepare me for my next birth. So you find out that you your your mucus plug comes out and you find out <laughs> you're 10 centimeters. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, were you feeling any labor, like pains or it kind of just, you know, you're like, like what was going on at, at that time where you just walked in and, were like, and they were like, yeah, we're, you're 10 centimeters. I didn't have any like serious pain, I would say. My water didn't break at all. I was like, what? It didn't break. And I was just, he was just in there. Just, I was having contractions, but they weren't so intense that I felt like I needed to pull someone's like face off or something. But, um, I was pretty much okay. I had a hard time sleeping, but I did get some sleep, not the best sleep. Um, so, and when he said that, I was like, this baby, he waited patiently. I appreciate him for doing that because I didn't want any other doctor looking at my hoo-ha. So, um, like my grandma would say, I'm just saying what she would say. Um, but I felt I walked to try to bring him on even to like intensify labor. So things wouldn't be so hard, I guess, when it did start. Like the day before he came, I was walking I was eating hot food. I had sex like multiple times throughout the day, but he was still staying in there. I was like, okay then. And, but during that time I, I was okay. And I mean, I don't recommend that any woman tries to do that. Like you need to go to the hospital because, <laughs> or have a doula or your midwife on call for something like that. Because if something had a popped off, during that time, I don't think I would have known what to do, honestly. And like when I had to, I had to remind my partner, I have an appointment today on Monday. We have an appointment. You need to come on so we can go. I don't want to be late. So yeah. And I had to search for him and he was out barbecuing. I'm like, why though? <laughs> we have an appointment. So yeah, it's all the it's hilarious. I laugh at it sometimes. <laughs> he just wanted to make sure y'all have food for once the baby got here. He was stacking up the postpartum I didn't food. Make, I didn't get to eat nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Not one drop burger or hot dog anything. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> so you went to your appointment. Walk us through from the appointment until your son is here. Okay, well, um, we look at each other in exclamation, like, you're lying, doc. So, I thankfully, I had went to labor and delivery on that Friday um, when my mucus plug came out, and I had already registered and everything, pre-registered. So, everything was fast-paced. We went to the labor and delivery floor at Jackson Hospital in Montgomery, Alabama, um, the nursing staff was absolutely phenomenal. Um, they got me in a room where the room where I would deliver in. Everything happened in there. We I stayed there overnight and everything. That same room. Um, uh, they got me all hooked up to everything. Um, they were going to try to break my water with. Uh, I think it was the drug. Starts with a P. Token. Tocin. 
Um, they gave me that to try, I guess, to speed up labor and to get my water to break. But it just, I don't know if it did or it didn't, honestly. But I know the pain intensified. And they asked me if I wanted an epidural. And uh, that's when my partner said, you're doing fine. I don't think you really need anything. You seem to be ha handling the pain well. You sure, are you sure you want to do this, have an epidural? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I want to. So <laughs> I, pr I was praising the gods when the anesthesiologist came in. And I looked at that man like, thank God for you because I am in serious pain right now. And I was still as I could be. Like That was the one time I remained still. I was so ready for that. And then by the time he got done giving me the epidural, here comes my doctor. Uh, he's saying, okay, um, we're gonna get you, give me some other drug. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm frank, I didn't have a plan. So I would have asked questions about what it was. And no, I don't want that because actually I wanted a natural birth to try to do it on my own. But everything was just going so fast. Like I had no time to prepare at all. Um, I didn't even have a labor and delivery bag, nothing packed, nothing at all. I just went straight from the doctor's office in my dress, jean jacket, boots, that was just me and my purse and the clothes I had on. That was all I had. Um, so he calls um, our families and then they started to sprinkle in. Like, I didn't expect all those people to show up. It was my mom. She showed up. I don't know the exact order of how they showed up, but I wrote it in a blog post because I, I recorded everything. My sister recorded the whole thing so I have the audio and the video of how they came in but right now I really can't recall but it was my mom then my dad and his wife um then uh my sister of course um my partner's mom his sister then it was my aunt my mom's sister my grandma was on the phone with my aunt <laughs> um let me make sure I got everybody uh yeah that was everybody and then the doctor OBGYN and the two nurses so there's like 12 people I got a whole team like a literal a basketball team in the delivery room I didn't have time to say y'all get out of here it was just so fast they were all in there when they saw this baby coming to the world so my dad was behind the curtain he said I'm not looking at all that that's my child. So, um, and then my aunt, she was outside of the door, um, giving my grandma all the details. So, I mean, woo, woo. I don't ever want anybody in the room like that with me because I'm looking one way and I see this person's face. This way, another person's face. I can't. I couldn't really focus, and that made the d delivery process. Um, I guess I wasn't as calm as I wanted to be. So he had to use forceps and suction to help get him out. And then he had to give uh, cut me twice, which was very uncomfortable after the fact. So, but um, I think I got there like 
4.30 and he was born at 5.14 p.m. So it all happened so fast. And then next thing I know, I hear him crying and my emotions, I'm tearing up. All these people are breathing over me and my child. <laughs> I love these people, but uh, I was like, if this had been COVID, uh, that wouldn't even happen. So um, I was just in tune with him once he came out. They put him on my chest. Um, the nurse explained everything and about what they would do next. And I was just on oh, heaven on earth at that moment and from there that's when issues started to happen uh after the postpartum period like a week later a week and a half later we always um talk about the energy in the room and how important it is um being able to keep that space um with the energy that's needed. And of course, having family and loved ones, like you want them to be a part of that process. But sometimes that energy can be a lot to try to manage when you're also trying to manage the fact that you're having a baby. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's um, a lot sometimes to ask birthing people to have to be the ones to manage that space. And I think we try to talk to like partners and other sport people to kind of have that in the back of their mind too. Like if you're going to be in that space, what is your energy going to do to support that person in there? Are you right. going to be a distraction? Are you going to be helpful? <laughs> like what you just being mindful about how your energy shows up in that space. Cause we all carry our own perceptions of birth, our own experiences mm -hmm. with birth, our own not experiences with birth in those spaces. Um, and sometimes consciously and unconsciously it can show up um, and then it changes what the birthing person might need. So yeah. I say that long ramble, <laughs> just they always just be mindful. I mean, you know, like I said, we put a lot of work on, on birthing people and on partners to kind of sometimes manage that space. Like, well, who do you want in the birth space? And I think that some of that responsibility should also be on the people who want to be in the space um, that they're thinking about that. So, right. But I just felt so bombarded. Like my doctor's like, oh, it's okay. They can be in here. I don't want them in here. <laughs> like, Somebody be the voice of reason. Right? <laughs> I was like, counting on I, you to kick them out. Thanks. I mean, <laughs> dang. Like I thought it was like a minimum to people being in the room because, um, I know with my sister, with her first child, um, she had to have a C-section and it was only so many people in the room. When you were talking about um, they started using Pitocin in your labor, do you remember what they said the reason was? They said it was to help break my water and to progress labor since I had, was in labor for like 72 hours. I wasn't in the active labor. I just was in labor to the point where I was dilating. At that point, when I got to the doc doctor, I had dilated that far, but I didn't have any of that excruciating pain because my water had broken. And that's what they were trying to do to help speed it up so that my water could break. So that that was their reasoning for giving me administering administrating that drug to me amongst whatever else they gave me that I'm not even 
aware of. Right. And when you reflect about that part of your birth, what do you know now? Like, what have you gathered from that? Well, I know now that um, Mm -hmm. after I looked at the discharge paperwork and everything, that they gave me um, something that I didn't even need, that I felt like I probably didn't even need, which was a pain drug that I I wasn't balled up. Um, I felt like I could probably have handled it, but for me, I was probably so exhausted because I hadn't slept as well, and the pain probably wasn't as tense as I thought it was but they gave me drugs for pain um they gave me drugs after he was born to help with the blood loss um they gave me drugs for the pain from my tears well the cuts that the doctor had made um it was just a list a list on top of a list and I was like I felt like I didn't even need all this stuff and I wish I had had someone to advocate for me, like a doula or a midwife. They are so important. I realize that now with both of my births, like I needed them more than anything those days because they would have, I probably would have been a different person after my children were born. And I feel like those drugs probably contributed to my postpartum depression experience. Because a lot of those drugs were, I felt like too much was administered and I shouldn't have got them, gotten them in the first place. Well, tell us about postpartum for you. I know you said you started a little bit, so let's go ahead and dive on in there. Uh, well, um, after I was discharged from the hospital, I felt fine. Um, other than the physical pain I was experiencing, I was mentally exhausted, yes, like, because I didn't rest well in the hospital either. People coming to check on you every 15 minutes. Um, Visitors, family, friends. The minute I felt like I was going to sleep, somebody was coming. Just give me flowers, cars, and gifts. I'm thankful for people showing their love, but now that I know, I don't want anyone to come visit me all the sleep I can get all the sleep because that's essential to that postpartum period women we need to sleep rest if I need you I will call you I will buzz you there's a button there's a button if I need you I'll call you but I don't want you to come checking on me every 15 minutes I can't take a nap I can't watch tv I can't to heal which is another reason why I went back to school too so um after I left the hospital I was exhausted I had a newborn baby it was just me and the baby a majority of the time because my partner he was still working he couldn't get off work for a family leave so um when he was at work I was taking care of baby and my I think my mom took off for a week um, and right after that week was over, that's when I started to experience like uh, intrusive thoughts. I was saying I'm a bad mom. I don't want my baby. 
I want to give him away to his dad. Plus, I was trying to breastfeed, which was my biggest goal because I did not want to do formula. I, I knew how important breast milk was for him and for me. Um, him getting all the nutrients that he needed and my supply was not meeting his demand, which made me on the edge, nervous, scared. Like I was so frantic. I was like, oh my gosh, will my milk ever come in? And I was staying up trying to um, pump when he wasn't nursing. Um, I was like frantic, like staying up jittery, uh, staring at him. Like, is he breathing? Because I, I had heard about SIDS because right before he was born, I, a, a church member of mine, they lost their child to SIDS. So I was just staring at him like throughout the night to make sure he wouldn't die in his sleep. Um, I was wanting to kill myself, wanted to act it out. Uh, I had a plan. I had written it down. I was just saying all types of ill things that um, ultimately I knew something was wrong with me and I needed help immediately when I said I wanted to put my son in the washing machine. I said, I need help immediately. And I told my mom and my partner, he didn't understand. He tried to bribe me talking about, we can get married, Natalie, just stop all this, just stop it. I'm like, you, I can't stop it. So I got um, put on an antidepressant, but my OBGYN gave me after a week, another week, I was probably way worse. I was calling the pediatrician's office every single hour asking a question. Do y'all have milk? What do I do? This, that. He's crying. He's this. He's that. Like, I just was calling to ask crazy questions. I was worried he wasn't getting enough milk still for my breast. I was had family go out and buy this, all these things that I didn't need. Um, I was crying in bed. I was um, up. I was down. I felt like I could conquer the world one minute, and then I wanted to crawl on a, a rock the next. So I got admitted to um mental health behavioral health facility in Montgomery um I stayed there for about uh four days um then um they had put me on a specific medication I think it was Prozac Boost Bar Seroquel and uh Vistaril uh after that I mean I know I knew it would take time so I, then I had like an anxiety attack the following week. So I went back into the hospital again and stayed for a week's total time. This whole time, my baby's with my mom and my husband, my, well, no, my partner is at work. And I'm not able to bond with my baby at that time. Um, I'm still lucid and having bad thoughts. Um I'm staring out the window, sitting because literally the hospital was right, maybe no more than eight minutes from where I lived. So I would look in that direction and wondering what he was doing. 
And I vowed to myself that I was going to get better for him. So once I did get discharged again, I had, they recalibrated my meds. Um, I started going to therapy four times, three, four times a week. I was taking my medication. I was still having some bad thoughts here and there. Um, there were eventually good days made their way in. After eight months, um, the sun finally shined again, and I was able to um, become a better, I wouldn't say become a better, better mother, but be more positively focused on and all the negative thoughts uh waited faded away so it took time um and for anybody who is listening that it's not the end you're not going to be through you're not going to be in postpartum depression forever at all there will come a day where you won't have a single thought a single one that scares you so because that day came for me and I thought it never would because and I kept asking my grandma, is it going to go away, granny? I keep thinking about this stuff. I I was obsessed with death. Like, what happens when you die, granny? What happens? Like, she could not tell me. I'm like, baby, I don't know. I just have to tell you what what I know is that the good Lord, he's going to watch over you. He's going to take care of you. So. Eventually, I stopped asking about it, and I thought that day would never come, but come, but it did. So that was brave. Thank you. From the moment you even told your mom what you were thinking, so yeah, many I women hold those thoughts because of shame or feeling like somebody's going to try to take their baby, or you know, or whatever mm-hmm. the reason. Right? That was brave. Yeah, I knew I needed to tell somebody. I couldn't. I mean, I was fearful. Like, indeed, I thought they would take him away from me. But I knew it was better to say something than to keep it to myself. Because I I wasn't going to help him, myself, or anybody else. Because at one point, my family looked at me like, oh, my gosh, what is she going through? Because they had never seen anything like that before. My black family had never seen anything like that before. What I was dealing with, the things I was saying, the things I was doing, the thoughts of suicide, um, even the attempt I tried to make, um, like they were confused because black families, I mean, there's a stigma with keeping it together, like just pray it away. Yeah, it couldn't be prayed away. I needed way more than prayer. I love God, but a sis needed some therapy and some medication. And it's important to get those things. And those resources are not always available for black and brown communities at all. And women don't want to come for it for the fear of shame and judgment. Because I know my family looked at me like I was crazy at one point. Like, they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So, yeah. There's this idea that we have control over those situations. That it's something I did that is making me do this. Oh, yeah. Um, I I definitely thought that, too. Like, what did I do wrong mm -hmm. to deserve this when I did everything right throughout my pregnancy? 
everything. So, yeah. And I think that is, you know, how then family, friends try to find solutions or justify because they think that there's something you can do to stop that. Mm-hmm. Not fully understanding the mechanisms that create that situation or um, make those things show up in that way. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking about when you said to be a better mom and I, in my head, wanted to be like, but you are already a great mom. You're, I mean, you are a great mom. Um, you were just, you were working through a part of your motherhood, but that didn't make you any less of a mom. That's um, right. I wish more, I wish more people would realize that, that this is a part of a motherhood journey. It is, even though it's not something any woman I would say wants to go through, but it's a, is something attached with pregnancy. It could or it could not happen. It's one of those things that occurs. Unfortunately, it does the same way. I wish no black woman or any woman for that matter would die after giving birth. And that's something else that needs to be addressed heavily in the black community. Because I know people personally who have died after giving birth to their children and they were the healthiest human beings on the face of the earth but there's something that occurred that was missed dismissed or put to the side concerns because that happened for me with my second pregnancy and I wasn't my concerns weren't addressed and then you suffer from preeclampsia and all these other things which elevates blood and it can cause a deadly situation. And I wish someone would take the reins on this issue because no no woman should die giving birth to her child or any birthing person for that matter. It's so much bigger than, you know, just this one person or just this one individual you worked with. It's a whole system that has been designed in its inception that was not geared towards supporting Black women um, mm-hmm. in pregnancy or in womanhood in general. Um, right. And when we consider the roots of it, it it just, it makes sense, but it doesn't make it okay, right? And so it's even to the point where you said, you know, midwives and doulas are so important to what's going on, you know, with supporting women, especially Black women in childbirth. But the doctors are so important and so much a part of it because some women can't work with midwives, right? Whether it's your insurance, the accessibility, like there, it's the whole system that mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, burned to the ground. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I did a research paper on the system, like for my MPA program, it was about why do women suffer from postpartum depression, and it started with right with the doctor at the labor and de- delivery unit. I, I, my variables were things that occur in the labor and delivery units and at postpartum at pregnancy appointments. Like those things matter up until that point where you get to the hospital getting ready to have this baby. Like it's a whole system. The hospitals have to address, they don't address like 
there's no exit information about postpartum depression or your blood pressure or symptoms of fluid on your legs or all these other crazy things that go on when you get home and you don't know even know what we don't even know what to do so that was that's what my paper was about and I felt like public the administration of hospitals needs to change how they go about doing things with people of color who are giving birth like information needs to be shared and tests need to be distributed before your discharge and I remember my grandma saying they used to stay in the hospital for a week just two days two days who can get better in two days if after that. Get- <laughs> you can choose to leave in 24 if there were no issues but sometimes oh, there's man. issues after the fact right right like mm-hmm. they need to go back to that keeping you in the hospital thing longer because I cannot imagine what our great great grandmothers went through like if they suffered postpartum depression how did they get through it what did they do like it's so, and I have no idea, no idea. Only thing we can do is talk to our elders while they are still here about the matter. But I definitely would have loved to stay in the hospital for five more days. I really would have, but I would have told them after two, y'all need to stop coming in this room. <laughs> stay out of here. If I need you, I'll call you, okay? <laughs> I'll call you. That's the one thing they need to stop this. Don't interrupt me while I'm sleeping. You know, I always remind people, I'm like, you're not going to get your best rest when you're at the hospital. Just putting that out there. You're not going to get your best rest. They mm-hmm. Lights going to suddenly come on. People coming in to check your temperature, your vitals, all those Bio. wonderful things. Make sure you're okay. So you just know it's going to be a little cat and mouse with the sleep situation. <laughs> Like, why do they, why? Well, I, we are extremely thankful for you sharing that truth today. Thanks Um, for having me. It's a, a reality for many people's journeys that I, like you said, it has the shame and the guilt to it. And we don't get to, um, hear about its impact, hear about, hear about the reality of that. Um, so yeah, we are extremely grateful for you sharing that truth today. Is there anything else that you would like to leave with our listeners, whether it's resources, advice, anything else from your journey? Um, well, since I have given birth to, well, given an earthside, two earthside births, personally, I still think I have three children. I will always have three children. Um, But from what I do know is that um, both of my experiences were completely opposite, but they pushed me and encouraged me to go back to school and make a change about the issues that I dealt with and experienced. Um, But it's so much bigger than the change that I want to make. It's like you said, and it's administrative thing it starts with doctors it starts with staff like things have to change so from there I started my own blog 
so I could talk about my experiences, um, so I could put pen to paper and have someone, anyone, I don't care if it's just one person who reads my blog post, like they can read what I went through and know that they can get out of it and that they need to take their own health seriously. Don't depend on the doctors. You have to advocate for yourself too. And if you can't afford a doula or a midwife, invest in one. Because Lord knows, I wish I had done it. Because things could have definitely, I feel like, turned out differently for me in a multiple magnitude of ways. So um, if anyone else wants to know more about my journey and my life, um, I still manage mental illness right now to this very day. I suffer from depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, um, and I have seasonal depression. So right now, today, this morning, I woke up, I was in a spell of a mood. I did not want to be bothered, but I knew I had to get up. I got in front of my therapy light and I took my medicine so I could be here to take care of my kids and take care of myself. So if anyone else wants to know more about my journey, um, I'm at um, online at mindfullywellrooted.com. I'll, I'll make sure you get the right spelling of it because I spelt it a, a different kind of way. Full is F-U-L-L um, because even though my mind is full of all these crazy things, I'm rooted in maintaining my wellness through God. So quick question. Yes. Did the depression and anxiety start after the first birth? Um, actually, I experienced depression and anxiety when I was 11 years old. That's when I first experienced it. So it was prior to me um, giving birth way before, way before. And it was just something I felt like I suppressed for a long time in certain kind of ways that I will be sharing in the future. <laughs> They're in the works for this year to be shared um, across my uh, social media platform. So thank you. Thank you, ladies. To Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. Today's episode is sponsored by March of Dimes. They are the leading nonprofit fighting for the health of all moms and babies through education, research, support, and advocacy. March 3rd is World Birth Defects Day. As part of their annual observation of this day, March of Dimes partners with the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to generate awareness among women of childbearing age and families about actions they can take to help prevent birth defects. Join the conversation about World Birth Defects Day by following hashtag Best for You, Best for Baby on social media and by visiting March of Dimes at marchofdimes.org forward slash BSIC.